You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Open Forum Wednesday, and if you are a fan of Baker Mayfield, you are very happy today as he was traded to the Carolina Panthers. And if you are a fan of Sam Darnold, you are not very happy today. I think this is an excellent move for the Cleveland Browns and the Carolina Panthers. Absolutely. This is a uh, this is great for M- Baker Mayfield. I mean, he needed a change of scenery. Uh, the Browns were stuck with an $18 million quarterback that uh, they didn't want. Uh, Mayfield didn't want to be there. And it was just a matter of time before this happened. So, and here's the other deal. Think about this. Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the draft just a few years ago, all right, is traded for a conditional fifth-round pick. It can go as high as a fourth round pick think about that for a minute think about that a fifth round pick for baker mayfield so i can't imagine sam darnold is going to beat out baker mayfield i think baker mayfield's a better quarterback than he is all right um i don't think anyone thinks that deshaun watson is going to be playing football for the browns so Jacoby Brissett will be the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Now, what about Seattle? Did they make a mistake by not going and getting Baker Mayfield? They're going to really go with Drew Locke and Geno Smith as the quarterbacks, right? Uh, What about Jimmy Garoppolo? Weren't the Panthers... Better suited off to get Garoppolo. Hey, the other part of this deal is the Browns are paying part of Baker Mayfield's salary to go to Carolina. So Carolina, I think, did a great job here. And when you look around the National Football League right now, the only other team that really could use a quarterback, in my opinion, are the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, Locke and Smith, come on. So Garoppolo, we know about the offseason shoulder surgery. And he's expected to start throwing in a couple of weeks. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do if you are the 49ers? You're going to have the most expensive backup in the history of the National Football League, right? Are you going to stunt the growth 
of Trey Lance if Garoppolo beats him out? Then what do you do? I mean, you use, what, three first-round picks to move up in the draft a year ago. You Do you cut Garoppolo and save the money? I mean, you don't get any draft compensation for him. Then what? So, very puts San Francisco, in my opinion, in a very difficult position here. Very difficult position. I, I don't know what you do if you're the San Francisco 49ers. You've given the keys to Trey Lance. And if Garoppolo had left, boom, everything's a clean slate. There's no issues. Um, I can't imagine Lance not being the starter for the 49ers this year, right off the get-go. I mean, again, the 49ers gave up a hell of a lot to get him. But if you keep Garoppolo around and he's healthy, he's better than Trey Lance, isn't he? Again, right now, today. So what happens if Garoppolo's on the team? Lance starts week one, struggles, then what happens? So you don't want to be in that situation, in my opinion, if you are the 49ers. Just don't. Just don't. So big news today. Baker Mayfield goes to Carolina. Seattle still needs a quarterback. Then what? What about Garoppolo as we get closer to the start of training camp in the National Football League? Great to have you on board here on Listen App. You know the routine. If you want to get on, you hit your hand icon, raise your hand, uh, and we will do it. Let's get to uh, some phone calls, and we start this show off with Jeff. Jeff, good afternoon. Hope you were doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing okay, Grant. I missed you the last couple of days. Uh, been real busy with our dog rescue and stuff, but... Uh... Anyways, no problem. Uh, holy cow, uh, Mayfield. That, I mean, that's nothing. A fifth, a conditional, maybe a fourth. I mean, Jesus, that's cheap as hell. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Not only that, uh, they got the deal where the Browns are still paying uh, part of his salary. So if you're Carolina, I mean, it's uh, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's a win-win-win for the Carolina Panthers. It's a good move for them. Very good move for them. Yeah, they they came out smelling like a rose. I mean, the Browns are paying over $10 million of his salary, $10.5 million. And the, and the <laughs> Panthers only have to pay a little under $5 million of his salary. Yeah, where the hell are they getting all this money? They're paying Watson, they're paying that. I mean, Jesus Christ. Well, they're not paying, well, they're, on, they're, they're not paying Watson a lot of money this year. They structured a contract uh, knowing full well <laughs> that he was going to be suspended. Yeah, he's getting a million. So, anyways, uh, I'm a 49er and Giant fan, so I want, I'm from the Bay Area. You know, come on, let's think about this for a moment. I mean, Montana and Young were on the same team for how many years? Three years? Uh, yes, that's correct. They were. Okay. Unless Kaepernick and Alex Smith were together there. Yeah, I, wouldn't for... compare, I wouldn't compare Kaepernick and Alex Smith to Montana and Young. Well, no, no, I'm just saying starting quarterbacks. I'm saying you're yeah. two okay. pretty good starters. I mean, no, no way I would compare Hall of Fame Young and Montana. Oh, hell no. Hell no. Uh, but 
I, I know it's a hell of a backup, but it's a hell of an insurance policy. And if you trade them, look what Baker Mayfield went for. It's just not the trade value is not there. And the only thing you can hope for is that somebody, you know, another team gets hurt and blows his knee out or, you know, something horrible. Have, I don't want to, I'm not hoping nobody gets hurt. I mean, don't give, but, you know, but if I understand what you hurt, mean. You're more apt to get, you know, they're going to be in a desperate situation and uh, Jimmy's uh, trade value goes up. Yeah, you know what though? You're 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 when you talk about the era of Montana and Young and the the salary cap era now is completely different than back then. So Garoppolo's supposed to make twenty five million dollars this year. If he is your backup quarterback, okay, I mean, can you afford to pay a backup quarterback in the National Mm -hmm. Football League twenty five million dollars? I mean, I don't think you can. Well, our other problem is it's just like my Giants. I mean. I mean, the only <laughs> nobody wants to come to Northern California. I mean, look when the Raiders are here, no one want to come there. No big stars want to come to the 49ers. Nobody wants to come to the Kings. I mean, uh, it looks like they just want to go to the Dodgers or the Lakers. I mean, hardly no. I mean, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, went to the Clippers, and you got Paul George down there. Unless it's other. Uh, well, where did Kevin? Where 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 did, where did Kevin Durant go three years ago? Where did he end up? Yeah, the Warriors. That's what I'm saying. The only team that the only yeah. team that seems like is the Warriors keeps these stars. But then Durant left. Now he's he's hinting that he might want to come back, but that's not going to happen. Uh, but I'm I'm talking football and baseball, and uh, it seems like no one wants to play for the Giants. And, I mean, you know, Bryant left. I mean, Guzman left. I, uh, I mean, no one wants to play for the A's or they don't pay anybody, but it just, the Giants can't get any, I don't know if they just don't want to open their pocketbook. They haven't had a star since Barry Bonds. I mean, you know, and they're milking that. I mean, nobody. Starts- well, that's not true. They, they, that, that, that's not true at all. I mean, Buster Posey is going to be in a Hall of Fame. I mean, don't say they haven't yeah. had a star. I mean, Buster Posey is a pretty big star, right? Yeah, I wouldn't compare him to Bonds or Willie. Well, I, you know what? I, I I would I would I would I would not compare him to Bonds or Mays, but I mean the guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame, and he's a Hall of Fame catcher. So you know that that's pretty damn good, is it not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but did you want to really watch his bats and turn the TV? Well, again, the guy's going to be in there at the time was the best pitcher in baseball. They had him. So I mean, I don't agree with you. If they didn't have any stars since Bonds, that's not true. Well, you're. I mean. I mean, a guy want to must see TV that's going to change a game with a three run. Well, Madison run. Bumgarner changed. Madison Bumgarner won him a World Series by uh, winning the wild card game, winning in the uh, uh, NLCS, winning in the World Series, and coming in in relief. He actually won the World Series for him that year. I mean, yeah. listen, you, you, Pablo Sandoval, I wouldn't compare to Bonds, but you know, he probably won him a World Series too. So, I mean, I don't agree with you that the Giants haven't had any stars since Bonds. Now. That's not fair. That, that that that's not that you can't say that. That's not fair. Well, they're just. I'm frustrated with them. They had a nominee last year with those 107 wins. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know, yep. and and I'm just frustrated. Late, I just it looks like patchwork now. They went out and got uh, Peterson, Peterson or whatever, and he's got 17 bombs. But yeah, they're playing terrible right now. They're playing awful. What are they lost? They lost six in a row. They've what, what lost eight of ten in the. You know, they're not going to be in the playoffs this year. And that's really uh, disappointing based on 
what we saw last year. When I say they're not going to be in the playoffs, I mean, that's me assuming they're not going to go on a wild second half run. But yeah, yeah. you're right. Last year no, kind of was fool's gold. Padres and uh, uh, and, Dodgers. Uh, and the Dodger and Tatis isn't even playing yet for the right. Padres. Yep. So, yep. It, you know, it's just uh, it, there's no comparison with the talent with Dodger, Dodgers and Padres. Yeah, I agree. No, there isn't. And the relief pitch in that uh, Rogers is holy crap. That guy's batting practice 76 miles an hour sidearm. And he's no Kent Picaldi, you know. I mean, no. he, Christ. I mean, it, it, it's just the the and uh, I don't I don't really like the manager. Uh, he's he's he's. Well, you're talking about Gabe Kapler. Everyone loved him last year. Now you don't like him this year. I I listen. I get it. Gabe Kapler was really run out of Philadelphia. They did not like him in Philadelphia, and uh, you know, then he went to San Francisco and was like, wow, he became you know Casey Stengel overnight, and now look at him. So I I get you. I mean, the Giants to me are a very puzzling. Uh, franchise i mean after what they did last year and this year you know again they look like a completely different team they're what 500 ball club they got off to you know a good start and now all of a sudden uh lately they look terrible well they got a bunch of minor leaguers and guys they've traded for that are just weak and uh, the bullpen is just atrocious and they got and they've had a lot of injuries they've had a lot of injuries you got to be fair there they've had a lot of injuries Crawford, but belt i mean belt he's hit or miss i get he gets hot you know, and then he get he'll get hot, and then he's cold. I mean, you got Darren Ruff that just I mean, come on, who wants that guy? Yaskrimski was a a minor leaguer, and he'll hit a home run now and again. And uh, Longoria is washed up. Uh, uh, I mean, well, first of all, when you say that Longoria was a minor, or excuse me, when Yaskrimski was a minor leaguer, almost every player that you see playing in Major League Baseball at one point was a minor leaguer. So I mean, you you know, you got to. Yeah, was, you got to be, you know, come on. The minors, he was buried in Very the couple. He was buried in the Orioles organization for years. I like him. I like him. He's yeah. competitive, you know, but he he's a two, you know, two forty. All right, let me ask you this. What's the biggest problem with the Giants, in your opinion? They don't open the pocketbook. I mean, they're milking. There you go. They're milk, milking the goddamn attendance. They sold, yep. they sold the, the stadium out. For years, yep. when they were when they were on the World Series run, when they had Linta Kim Posey and they had you know a good, pretty decent teams there, when Bochi was the manager and stuff, but this year hardly anybody's going to the games. I don't know if they've had a sellout. I don't even think they sold out opening day. Pretty you know? sad, isn't it? Yeah, and and I I and, the, and maybe it's the economy. I don't know, you know, with COVID and all that stuff. Uh, uh, but I, I watch the games every night, and I, I, I see the stands. There's hardly, hardly anybody at the games now. Yeah, no, I know it's a bad look. I mean, it really is. It's amazing what's happened to that franchise. I do believe that, you know, the economy, the pandemic have something to do with it. But the main, but the main reason is, you know, the product that's out on the field. I mean, we've seen that before in San Francisco. Uh, you know, and that ballpark's not the honeymoon anymore, although it's still the best ballpark in baseball, in well, my they opinion. Moved, they moved the fences in. They, they did well, move the fences in. Yep. Well, you know, again, it's it's uh, I also and again, maybe I'm uh, old fashioned when I say this, but I, I think a lot of people just don't enjoy the way the game's played today. I mean, watching baseball today is so different than watching it 
you know, even 10 years ago. I mean, the game has changed so much. Listen, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. I don't even know if I should say diehard anymore, but I'm a big-time Yankee fan, okay? The Yankees are having a historic season, all right? They're having a historic season at 58-23. and 23. I, I very rarely watch them play. You know why? I hate the way the game's played. I, I hate the way baseball's played. Well, and and if this is this is a Yankee fan, and I just, you know, would I like to watch Judge come up? Yes. Uh, but I don't like the way the game's played. I just don't. I don't care for the way the sport is being played this day. I don't really watch a lot of baseball because of that. Well, the Giants are talking about trying to go after Judge, but hell, that'll good luck. Be, that'll be a miracle. That I don't know if they'll step up. His contract's going to be bigger than Trout's, bigger than Harper's, bigger than I wouldn't do it. Tatis. I mean, good. Go get him. Go get him. You can have him. You can have him. Uh, as good as Aaron Judge is, I'm not paying anybody that type of contract anymore. And if and if that player leaves, goodbye. So long. You know, as good as Aaron Judge is. You know what? He's not. He hasn't been in a World Series, and in the postseason, he strikes out too much. And I, if you want to give a guy that kind of money, then give him that kind of money, and I'll drive him to the airport. All right. I'm not. I am done giving guys ten-year deals at three hundred and fifty million dollars. It's been proven time and time and time again. It doesn't work. Don't do it. I'm not doing it. If I'm the Yankees, I'm not doing it. Well, I think the other thing that's killed the game, Grant, is this analytic bullshit. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. All right. All right, well, buddy. Bye bye. You you take care, Jeff. It's good hearing from you. Good call okay. today. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right. You too. Take care. I mean, he make he makes some good points, but you can't say the Giants haven't had a star since Barry Bonds. That's not fair. All right. Let's get to Jerry. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Grant. Hey. Uh, you know, just what Jeff was saying. Uh, reason why people I don't think are going to the games, to the Giants games, to the Kings games, Grant. You know, even though. I mean, I love going to my sporting events, right? But everything is so damn expensive, Grant. And I, you know what? I wish I did have a lot of money, you know, to go there three, four, five times a year. But you know what? I mean, uh, last year when we went to go see the Giants Padres, all right, I think this was at the total end when the Giants were about to clinch and the Padres beat them. 50 bucks to park your car in a dirt parking lot. 50 bucks, right? Yeah, I know. Uh, when we went uh, it's to ridiculous. The, uh, yeah. Buying a, we buying a the, hot dog, buying a drink, <laughs> buying a soda. Right. I mean, buying a bottle of water. It's freaking ridiculous. It really is. It's ridiculous. Grant, we, Grant, we went to the Kings game last year, right? Uh, $10.50 for a, a, a soft drink. Granted, the cup was, uh, there was like a little souvenir thing, but $10.50 for a drink, 13 bucks for a popcorn, $17 for a freaking 24-ounce uh, beer of Coors Light, twenty four ounces that you can buy for two dollars and sixty nine cents, seventeen dollars. Seriously. Uh, I hear you loud and clear. I got you. <laughs> I understand, and I do believe that part of what you're saying is accurate. And then Grant, why would but you would pay hope. things? Like, yeah. Why would you pay those kind of prices when you can watch the Kings, when you can watch the Giants, you can watch the A's in the comfy of of your home and your big flat okay. screen TV? Why? But, Jerry, here's the other part of this. If the Giants were duplicating last year and if the Kings were a playoff team, both facilities would be packed every night. That's the other part of it. They would. Uh, yeah, Grant, that's a point. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, do you think that's why fans are not going now? Because you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of going. I'm sick and tired of, of the team losing, spending all this money just to go there. 
Grant, I go to games because I like I like the entertainment. That's why I go to games. You know, if the Kings lose, you know what? I'd rather them lose by 25 than lose by two. That's why I'm going to be going for well, my the, team. Yeah, the Kings and the Giants are completely different stories. I mean, the Giants have recently won, you know, three World Series. The Kings have stunk for such a long time. Uh, plus, the uh, franchise has become completely woke with an owner that has gone way overboard with his wokeness and his incompetence. So all of those things factor into fans not going to Kings games. Bad product, bad ownership, wokeness. That's the that that's been the Kings' problem. Now, with all of that said, you know if the Kings all of a sudden become a playoff team, then the place will be full on most nights. So there there's that part of it as well. But yes, I agree with a lot of the things you're saying. And then, Grant, let me ask you this: So does it depend on if a team's good or if a team's bad? What they charge for parking? What they charge for the concession stands? It should, in my opinion. Um, I, I know one thing. If I had a bad product and I wasn't having fans come to my games, uh, I would do everything in my power to entice fans to go to the games. And if that meant uh, lower concession prices, then that's what I'm doing. I mean, I'd, I'd take the model of the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, when you go to the Atlanta Falcons, you don't get ripped off at the concession stands. And right. I think it's a, a great job by ownership there. But, you know, in Sacramento, when you go to a game, you get ripped off when you go to a Kings game. If you try to go buy any of the concessions, I mean, the prices are ridiculous. I mean, absolutely absurd beyond it's insulting is what it is to me. It's insulting what they charge for concessions to go to a Kings game. It's an, it's an insult is what it is. And, and Grant, you can't even take anything into uh, like a ballpark, like a stadium. You know, I'm not sure about the Giants ballpark. I think you can take sandwiches in there, but I'm not quite sure about the Kings games. I don't know that. I don't know that either. Jerry, good hearing from you. All right, sir. Thank you, Grant. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's move along. We get to uh, some more phone calls right here on Listen App, and we say hello to Ryan. Hey, good afternoon, Ryan. How are you today? Doing well. How you doing, Grant? I'm good, buddy. Doing well. So um, I'm here to deliver. I got two things, but the first is to deliver a eulogy for my Seattle Seahawks and their season this year. Uh, if a mid-round pick is not worth taking a flyer on Baker Mayfield when we have Drew Locke and Geno Smith as our two quarterbacks, our season's done. There's no way. We release Bobby Wagner. They, they are in full rebuilding mode at this point. And what's even more insulting as a Seahawks fan is the fact that Russ just wanted to be protected. And as soon as Russ leaves, we spend two of our first three picks in the draft on offensive linemen. I, I don't think that happened during Russ's tenure. I know we brought in free agents, but um, it, it's going to be a nightmare. I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. But um, transitioning, I wanted to have a little fun with you since it is Open Forum Wednesday. And I wanted to do, I have 10 names for you. And I wanted to do one word associations on this on the names are you are you okay with that yeah let, let, yeah if i'm familiar with the names sure i i'm sure you're familiar with every name on the list the rock mitch richmond great tizzy wayman tisdo fantastic human being Here's a fun one. John and Jerry, callers. <laughs> uh, 
uh, entertaining. Okay. Rick Adelman. Underrated. Jerry Reynolds. Stupendous. I like that. The Maloofs. Misunderstood. Why would you say that? Because they were great owners with a capital G until the economy tanked and they were in the process of building their third tower, which was 90% sold out. And after the economy collapsed, almost all 90% backed out with their contracts. And from that point forward, the Maloofs became uh, a, they were in a different world financially and they were not able to be the types of owners that they wanted to be. But before the economy collapsed, they were great owners. Players wanted to come play in Sacramento. Players loved with a capital L playing for the Maloofs. They treated their employees phenomenally. They were good people. Uh, they were really good people. They were a really good family. And when the economy tanked, their entire lives turned upside down. Would you say they were fairly hands-off basketball operations-wise? Yes and no. They were hands-off in terms of letting the people that they hired make the decisions without interference but they wanted constant dialogue. They liked having conversations with the coaches and the general managers, and they could actually be kind of a pain in the ass that way because they always wanted to be, you know, buddy, buddy with the coach and the owners, but were they, were they hands off in terms of decision-making? Yes, they were. It, it seemed like towards the latter years, they weren't going out. And I mean, they can't control free agents coming to Sacramento, but it seemed they were not as advantageous in trying to sign free agents per se. They didn't have the money. Well, it's, well, there's profit sharing, Grant. I mean, in the NBA, you know that. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, and George Maloof and I have had this conversation multiple times, including on the radio. And he said that Vegas had nothing to do with the Kings, which we all know is not true. Uh, right. The stark reality of the situation is when the economy tanked and the Maloofs had the hottest casino in all of Vegas, in the Palms, all the celebrities were going there to Rain Nightclub, to the Coast Bar, to everything else. They built their third tower, which was not the hotel, which was condominium. They had it basically sold out. Uh, it was going to be the place called Palm's Place to live in Vegas. And I'm just telling you, when that when that economy tanked and we had our great recession, the Maloofs became completely different owners. And it happened almost overnight. So you can call it profit sharing. You can call it whatever you want. But the Maloofs were never the same after the recession hit. And their tower basically went from being completely full to completely empty. So is that the reason that they wanted to sell, in your opinion? Yes. Uh, they had to sell. I don't think they ever wanted to sell. Uh, I believe to this day they miss being owners in the NBA. I believe that had the economy not tanked in 2006, 2007, and we had continued on, I believe they would still be the owners of the Sacramento Kings today. I also believe they would still be in Sacramento today. So. Um, Though that's just an unfortunate situation.
yeah, I mean, it affected pretty much everybody. So. Right. And I would also say this. They had a very acrimonious, very difficult relationship with the city of Sacramento. Uh, they were frustrated uh, and from their point of view at the lack of development or the lack of progress with building a new arena. Now, there are those in Sacramento that will say the Maloofs need to look in the mirror, that that was their fault, that they backed out on a couple of deals. And I don't disagree with that. Uh, I believe there was fault on both sides. Uh, there were those that were saying, well, the Moose never really wanted to stay in Sacramento. They were always looking to move. They wanted to go to, you know, Anaheim. They want, I believe there is some truth to that. But, you know, again, before the economy tanked, they were great. Oh, they were the best owners the Kings had ever had. Well, they were always sitting center court. And I mean, you could see the passion with them. Uh, during the games, especially during the glory years of the Kings. So uh, let's transition. I got a few more for you. Kevin Johnson. Great for Sacramento. Save the team. Along with 100%. 100% save the team. Without Kevin Johnson, the Kings would have never had a chance of staying in Sacramento. Kevin Johnson. Most important, David Stern, number two. Okay, without Kevin Johnson, the Kings would have been gone. Without David Stern, the Kings would have been gone. And it was very well documented in the 30 for 30 uh, down in the Valley, which unfortunately never aired. Jason Hare did a phenomenal job in documenting that. He did a phenomenal job in telling the story. And it was... I knew it because I knew everything that was going on behind the scenes all the time. But Kevin Johnson and David Stern, I'll never forget this. I'll never, ever forget this. I'm standing on the floor before a game, and Kevin Johnson walks up to me. And this is when things were looking very bleak, and we kept on hearing stories that the Kings were going to move and blah, blah, blah. And he walks up to me. And he says, all you need to know is that the Kings are staying here. That's all you need to know. And he, he gave me a tap on the chest and he walked away. And I actually talk about this in the 30 for 30 documentary. I actually relay that story. And I said in the documentary, I said, I was so pumped up after Kevin Johnson told me that, that I could have turned around in my suit and dunked a basketball. Have you ever That's dunked in a basketball? The documentary. No, <laughs> not not unless I was not unless I was on a trampoline. <laughs> no, that that's amazing. Is there any way, just quick question, that fans can find that? I know there's the dark internet, and I'm not saying it's a dark story no. or hidden, but not. No, it's not anywhere on the internet. Uh, I know Carmichael Dave uh, put it out live streaming it one day via Twitter. Uh, Periscope or whatever, whatever the hell it was. I can't even remember. Uh, that was about two years ago. Uh, and I think he got his hand slapped for that. But to the, no, there's nowhere, there's nowhere that you can see it on the internet, which is an absolute shame because it is Jason Hare, who also, by the way, directed The Last Dance. I had him on my podcast, mm. did a phenomenal, phenomenal job at Down in the Valley. And it's an absolute shame that the, community did not get a chance to see it. There were some that got a chance to see it. They had a couple of showings at the Crest Theater, 
leading up to what was to be the uh, premiere on ESPN. I saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival for the debut in April of that year. And then I went to the Crest Theater to see the two more showings. Excuse me, I've seen it a couple of other times, um, but it's a shame that people haven't had a chance to see it. Yeah, no, we were, it's, I can only speak for myself, but as a fan, I was definitely looking forward to that. There's another documentary on YouTube that you're a part of as well, that's similar to Keeping the Kings, but it's not the one that ESPN was doing for the 30 for 30. No, you know, I know there was another documentary playing to win um, that, you know, I thought they did a great job with that. But down in the valley, I mean, the resources that and the money uh, that Jason Hare at his disposal uh, to do that interview or to do that documentary was uh, absolutely incredible. You know, and the other aspect of that is, you know, and I had Jason Hare on uh, both on my radio show and on my podcast. And he is extremely honest about the difficulty of interviewing Chris Weber and what an absolute nightmare it was dealing with Chris. Uh, and also, Jason directed the Fab Five as well. And Jason tells the story uh, on my radio show of Chris Weber blatantly lying on the Dan Patrick show about why he was not on the Fab Five. And Chris Weber blatantly lied about why he was not on the documentary of the Fab Five. And Jason Hare came on my show and said, let me explain something to you, all right? I've got emails, I've got text messages, I've got everything, all right, in terms of reaching out to Chris Weber, wanting Chris Weber on the documentary. And Jason Hare was so pissed off that Chris Weber went on the Dan Patrick show and blatantly lied about why he wasn't featured on the Fab Five. And Jason Hare said he did get Chris for Down in the Valley, but that it was a nightmare and that he had to chase Chris everywhere, that Chris would say he was going to be there, he would do it, and then he wouldn't do it. And he also said Chris was totally unaware when they actually sat down and did the interview that Jason Hare was the same guy that was trying to contact him because he was the same guy that directed the Fab Five. So that was an interesting part of that whole scenario as well when I had Jason Hare on the show. That doesn't surprise me. He was a clown on your show after what happened in Sacramento. Oh. I mean, he, he's... Go ahead. It was a joke. It was embarrassing. I felt bad for Chris, and I knew that he was intoxicated or high within five seconds of coming on my show for the last time. And I kind of, I, I said, oh, my God. This within five seconds, I said, "Oh my God, this is not going to be good," and it wasn't good. And that's the last time I ever talked to Chris. Not because that was my wish; that was his wish, you know. And I told my producer at the time, I said, "When you call Chris and ask him to come on my show tomorrow, I want you to uh, I want you to tell him why I want him to come on the show." And he still came on the show. And as Chris always does, Chris never took any uh, onus for anything. Chris never wanted to admit that he was wrong. He tried to turn it around and blame it on me. Like it was my fault that TNT got the information wrong on the city council vote, okay, and made fun of Kevin Johnson after Cheryl Miller interviewed him live in the game. He turned it around and made it like that was my fault. And that's just the way Chris operates. You know, Chris doesn't take ownership for anything. It's always somebody else's fault. It's a real shame. You know, it's a real shame because, you know, he's he, he's um, he, there's so many good things about Chris Weber. There really are. But there are so many bad things. And 
I personally don't think there's anything worse than being a liar. I think being an adult and being a liar, I don't think there's anything worse than that. And Chris Webber is a liar. He's a convicted liar. He's a proven liar. And when Jason Hare, when, when Chris went on the Dan Patrick show, okay, and Dan was asking him about why he wasn't on the uh, Fab Five documentary and said, nobody reached out to me, blah, blah, blah. Jason Hare was incensed and furious because Jason told me he spent countless, countless, countless hours and hours and hours and hours of trying to interview Chris Weber. And Chris did nothing but dodge him, evade him, lie to him. You know, it was sad. It was ridiculous. Public or privately, you got to call a spade a spade. And I think that's been documented over the years with him. So that that's I'd be pissed, too, if you spent that much time. Um, putting yeah. something together, chasing somebody. So I understand that. Okay, I just got a couple more names for you. Uh, Jason Williams, one of the guys that turned the franchise around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Must watch basketball. Can you believe that pass that he would do when he would uh, throw the ball off his elbow in an it's NBA amazing. game? <laughs> I was sitting on the bus with Jason Williams when we were playing the Warriors in the preseason. And it was a beautiful day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And we were driving on I-80 through Berkeley. And... I turned around and I saw Jason staring out the window. And I said to him, have you ever seen San Francisco before? He said, no. And I said, pretty amazing, huh? And he just said, wow. And he, I talked to him about all the places that he had never seen before. So now fast forward, I am at the airport flying commercially for a Kings Lakers game because I did my show in Sacramento the night before and I flew down in the morning. And in the gate area is his at the time fiance, uh, Danica, I believe is her name. And they lived in Las Lagos, which is one of the most prominent neighborhoods in all of the greater Sacramento area. And she is flustered and upset. And I go, what's wrong? And she said, oh, my God, I've been dealing with the power company. And they turned off our electricity. And I turned to Jason. I go, what the hell is going on? And she 
had explained to me that Jason said, we don't need power. We don't, we don't need electricity, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> he came from, he'd come from Bell, West Virginia. Yeah, it's what he called right. it. Bell, West Virginia. And Jason was like, he didn't believe in having a phone in the house. Didn't think they needed power. <laughs> I was just, I was just laughing my ass off, sitting at the gate, getting ready to get on Southwest Airlines because she was so frustrated because he felt he didn't need any of the necessities to live <laughs> because that's the type of lifestyle that he had. And I just thought, man, that is just one of the funniest, amazing stories that I've ever heard. So I love Jason Williams to this day. I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, he was one of the funniest guys that I've ever been around. He kept the locker room so loose. He and Vladi, I mean, if you could hear him and Vladi in the locker room or on the bus or on the airplanes, I mean, it's one of some of the funniest stuff you'd ever hear in your entire life. That's so interesting because Jason was so reserved in public. Very. He was extremely introverted, extremely shy. He was not comfortable doing interviews. He was not comfortable with cameras in front of him. He was a good old country boy uh, that never had that type of experience. And I'll tell you, the Kings made a big mistake with this. And, and I still think they make a big mistake. And I believe a lot of franchises make big mistakes. Every franchise should have somebody that is media savvy to teach their athletes how to conduct interviews properly. There are too many, uh, DeMarcus Cousins was one, and there were many others, Jason Williams being another, that are just not comfortable in front of interviews. Now, to DeMarcus's credit, he got very good as he got older and got experience doing interviews, but he had to, I, I gave, I gave DeMarcus so many tips on doing interviews. I would actually interview him off camera. I, I'll tell you that, I'll tell you this story. He had been suspended for punching out Dante Green, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for, I believe it was two games. And his first game back was in Oklahoma City. And the Kings wanted me to interview him before the game that was recorded about his, about an apology, right? So I interview him on the court. Nobody else is around. It's just me, him, and the cameraman. No one's even warming up. I mean, it was that early before the game. And I, 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 he did the apology, and I walked away from the cameraman. I said, come here. I said, listen. I said, you need to come off looking good here. I said, what you just did was really bad. And I go, that apology is going to make it worse. I said, this is what you need to do. When you talk to me, you need to make believe you're talking to the cameraman behind me. Your voice needs to be louder, right? You need to be more affirmative. You need to be more uh, powerful. I need energy out of you. So we did the interview again. And he, we got done. And he says to me, he goes, how was that? Was that better? I said, that was much better. And he goes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I go, no problem. And I walked off the court with him. I said, listen, I said, when you do an interview, all I want you to remember is I need you to speak louder because if you speak louder with more energy, you're more believable. And he said, thank you. I said, no problem. So I actually did try to help him on a number of times, not just that time. Uh, he was in the studio with me for a whole hour once and he was eating the, uh, you know, the Sour Patch candy, right? Yeah, he's, he, he's, he, yeah. Okay. So, okay. He's eating the candy while I'm doing the interview and he's got his hand in the plastic and it sounds like a when you when you ruffle plastic near a microphone it basically sounds like a fire okay it sounds like flames 
And so at the first commercial break, I said to Marcus, I go, let me explain something to you. I go, you cannot eat food when you're conducting an interview. That's number one, because you're hard to understand to begin with. And with that candy in your mouth, it's terrible. It's bad radio. It makes you look bad. Number two, you can't ruffle the plastic while we're doing an interview because it comes over the microphone and sounds like a fire in the background. And he said, okay. So we did the next segment and it was 100% better. He wasn't eating the candy. I actually grabbed the candy from him and I put it on the other side of the room so he wouldn't be tempted by it. And it, you know what it was? It was nervousness. He was nervous being in that environment and that put him at ease, but he didn't understand how that impacted the interview. So, you know, there were many times I tried to help him out when it came to doing interviews because for the first couple of years of his career, he was a terrible interview. And I tried to really go out of my way. Well, I wouldn't go out of my way. I would do that with anybody. If I felt I could make somebody sound better, I was going to help them sound better. So there were a couple of instances where, you know, that occurred. That's a great story. Uh, so you're telling me DeMarcus is coachable. He is coachable with doing interviews because I helped him and he got better. I'm not saying he got better because of me, but he was coachable. And the one time that Oklahoma City interview, I'll never forget. You know, I was like, wait a minute, you just got suspended for punching out Dante Green. You're coming back and you just gave a half ass apology where it makes you look worse than if you had not apologized. I go, so we're going to do this again. And I need you to speak louder. All right. And when he and he was he was much better, much better. And uh, he was concise. It was believable, even though I didn't believe it. I mean, it didn't really matter what I believed. It was what the audience was going to believe. Okay. Um, I knew at the time, I knew everything that went on behind the scenes. So I knew that this guy was a lost cause. And I really believe that uh, because I knew everything 100% of the time. I knew, all, first of all, most of the flare ups with him were never reported. All right. Jason Jones, who was the beat reporter, covered his ass more times than you would believe, all right? I mean, and he would tell me that. He would go, did you see what DeMarcus did? And we'd be at a game getting, he goes, did you hear what DeMarcus said to the fans last night? Did you see this? And I'm like, well, why don't you put that in the paper? Why don't you report it? And he would go, I can't put that in the paper. I'm like, why the hell not? It's your job. He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, if I report that, he's never going to talk to me again, and then I can't do my job. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, you do what you have to do, but I think it's your job to put that uh, in the paper. You're the beat reporter for the team. You know, uh, but he was just he didn't have a spine to be able to do that. And I just thought that was uh, really wrong. I mean, that's the only place in the country where a beat reporter would not report the truth of what was going on with a star player. You know, I just I didn't understand that. Well, isn't that that fine line that they walk? Because if you report something that they do not want to get out. I mean, I was at plenty of games. You and I have talked about this where DeMarcus was cursing at fans in the front row, second row, third row. And uh, it was, you know, just nothing. I mean, I went to, I've gone to Kings games my entire life and I had never heard players talk to fans that way. But at the same time, you're not going to get the same access as a reporter if you throw something like that out there. Well, a lot of what you're saying is true. And the reporters that did do that uh, got bullied by him in front of other reporters, by the way. and. So um, I will give Jason Jones credit for one thing. Uh, DeMarcus bullied a reporter from the Sacramento Bee and everything. And Jason, who, by the way, I do not get along with for the record. Uh, I do not 
I do not care for him and he doesn't care for me. So I'll be very transparent. Uh, but I also try to be very fair when I talk about an individual. And to Jason's credit, he, after everyone left, went up to DeMarco and said, you can't talk to people that way. You can't, you can't do that. You know, you can't treat people that are doing their job that way. And did it help? No, it didn't help. DeMarco still treated the reporters that he didn't like, like shit, and embarrassed them in front of their colleagues and bullied them. But to Jason's credit, he did try to tell DeMarcus that that's out of bounds and you can't do that. Fair enough. Um, you know, what doesn't make sense to me is these guys, and I, I put this on Twitter a day or two ago, maybe it was even today. Um, you know, they're not talking to the media and being transparent, yet they can type out 140 characters and say everything straight up, unless you're Kevin Durant and you got seven burner accounts. But um, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like you're, you're putting it out one way or the other. Well, I think the, 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 the reason for that is when they put something out on Twitter, nobody is sitting there with a follow-up question right away. It might be a follow-up question via Twitter, but they can ignore that. If you answer a question in front of the media, they're going to ask a follow-up question. If you said something that's egregious, wrong, uh, controversial, and then it becomes a huge story. Whereas on Twitter, it's very simple. You can put out what you want. You can ignore the world after you put out your tweet. You can't ignore the media when you're doing a media interview after you give a statement with a follow-up question. And if you do, it makes you look really bad. Well, you can also set the world on fire too, if you say the wrong thing. I mean, we, yes, we've you can. seen it happen numerous times with people. Absolutely. No, you're 100% correct. You're absolutely 100% correct. I mean, even the people in the media can set the world on fire. I mean, look at Stephen A. Smith with his comments about Shohei Otani and the Nigerian basketball team, just as two examples. And again, you know, I can go on and on and on and on. Look at Draymond Green calling Kendrick Perkins, you know, a derogatory racial slur. Uh, I thought that would set the world on fire. It only set, uh, you know, part of the media on fire because everyone else is too afraid to ask him the tough questions and, uh, you know, really go after him for being so irresponsible by calling someone a racial slur. But so, you know, again, we live in a world of double standards. We live in a world of hypocrisy. Uh, but there are examples of not only athletes, but of, you know, media. And I'm using Stephen A. Smith because he's one of the best well-known uh, uh, people in his profession. And again, I'm using those two examples and there are more, but uh, it happens for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up. I have one more word or one more person for you. Grant Napier. Mm, wow. That's not the word you were looking for. Wow, right? <laughs> Could uh, be. Transparent. I agree with that 100%. I always try to be transparent. I always try to be honest. I always try to be fair. And I always try to do what's right. You know, the one thing that I will tell you that in 26 years of doing my radio show in Sacramento, I said things that were from a radio 
and a TV voice of a team's perspective probably crossing the line. And the one time was our New Year's, uh, December 30th in Boston. It was the lowest point that I could remember for the Sacramento Kings. Pete D'Alessandro had destroyed any chance of the team by firing Michael Malone, by trading Isaiah Thomas, and we were in Boston. And I was in the taxi, and it was dark out, and I'm driving to do my radio show. And I'm in the taxi. Uh, Tyrone Corbin had been the interim coach, and it was as bad as I'd ever seen it. And the players had no idea what was going on. And I was in the taxi, and I'm like, I was pissed. And I'm like, what are you going to say? And I walked into the radio station. I sat down, and the bumper music started coming on, and I started talking. And I went on about a 15 to 18-minute rant, and I ripped the shit out of Pete D'Alessandro. All right? I ripped this guy to shreds. And what I, when I mean I ripped him to shreds, I said the Sacramento Kings fans deserve better. They deserve answers. And the players in that locker room deserve to know what the hell is going on. Nobody in the locker room knows what's going on. The fans are fed up. The fans want to know what's going on. You just fired a coach that had the team going in the right direction. You traded a player that was clearly, you know, part of the future. The players in the locker room are befuddled. Uh, Tyrone Corbin doesn't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. When are you going to fix this problem, right? It was like that. Okay, fast forward. We had a day game uh, in Boston, and we were flying to Detroit that night. So it's New Year's Eve afternoon game. And I get a phone call from the president of the Kings at the time. And he wasn't happy with my radio show. And I said, well, I said, what did I say that wasn't true? And he didn't, he, he, there was silence. I said, tell me what I said that wasn't true. And he didn't, he couldn't answer the question. And he said, you need to fix this with Pete. I'm like, I'll talk to him. No problem. I'm standing on the floor at the Boston garden about, I took the first bus. I always take the first bus. I'm there early. Pete D'Alessandro is not on the first bus. I'm standing on the floor about 90 minutes before the game at the Boston Garden. I see Pete D'Alessandro walk on the floor. He walks up to me and starts screaming at me and cursing at me. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, Pete, I'm like, Pete, I go, if you want to talk to me, why don't you go up into the stands with me and talk to me like a man? So we go up into the stands and he starts yelling at me again. I go, Pete, I go, did you hear what I said? He said, no. I go, did you listen to what I said? He said, no, I read it. I said, so you read a transcript of what I said, but you didn't listen to what I said? Why don't you go back and listen to what I said? Listen, don't read a transcript. And then tomorrow in Detroit, why don't you come back and talk to me? And I bet you're going to have a different opinion of what I said. Okay. So we talked for like 10 minutes. I thought we had, you know, got on the same page. I go on the floor. I'm getting ready to do the game. Jerry Reynolds and I are standing on the floor where the players are behind us in the layup lines. I had three players 
come up to me and thank me for what I said on the radio. I had not one, not two, not three, but four assistant coaches come up to me and thank me for what I said on the radio. So players and coaches were coming up to me and thanking me for going on the air and saying what I did, okay? I had the president of the Kings, when I asked him, what did I say that was wrong? What did I say that was not truthful? Wasn't able to answer the question, okay? So I always try to do what's best for the fans. That's the one thing I will always take to my grave. No matter what I've done on the radio, no matter what I've said, no matter how I've handled myself, it's always been for the betterment of the fans because I have called out this franchise on the radio at times, okay? I called out DeMarcus Cousins for all of the things that he did wrong because the fans were the ones that were getting screwed, okay? I felt he was a detriment to the success of the team. It wasn't all his fault, but a lot of it was. So I went on the radio and I talked about that. I did the same thing when Chris Weber was here because I felt that Chris, as great as he was, hurt the team in so many instances, okay? I didn't have a problem going on the radio and talking about what a farce it was that Chris Weber, who was hurt all year, decided to get on the team plane, fly to LA for a nationally televised game on NBC between the Kings and the Lakers on a Sunday afternoon. And yet Chris then doesn't show up to the game, but he's seen in uh, Beverly Hills having lunch with Tyra Banks. I called him out for that. All right, I wasn't afraid of doing what was necessary because the fans deserve better. I wasn't afraid to talk about how Chris left the game when he was injured, blew off the second half, and was seen by fans across the street getting money out of an ATM and then never returned to the game, okay? I wasn't afraid of saying what needed to be said. Did I overstep my boundaries sometimes? Yeah, sometimes I did, but it was for the betterment of the fans. So that's why I say I've always been transparent I've always tried to be honest, and I have no problem putting my head on the pillow at night because I absolutely loved, loved, loved the Kings organization. But more importantly, I've always loved the fans. I've always had a special bond with the fans. Not all fans like me. That's fine. I'm in an entertainment business. Fans don't, you know, there are, there, there are people that don't like Stephen A. Smith. There are people that don't like Colin Coward. There are people that don't like Chris Russo. That's fine. That's what we do. There are people that hate Howard Stern. There are people that hated Rush Limbaugh. I get it. But you know what? These are people that were at the top of their profession that were unbelievably and are unbelievably successful. And that's just part of being an entertainer. If you're a public figure, you're going to have people that like you and you're going to have people that hate you. And you accept that as being in this position. But I always try to be fair, honest, and transparent. And so that's why I use the word transparent. I think that comes across. That's likely why everybody here on your podcast is listening or those that grew up with you here in Sacramento. You know, you always talked about that line between or there was people that would accuse you of, you know, being a corporate guy and there's things you can say and you can't say. But I guess I wonder how much harder was your job with 1140 being that you were the voice of the Kings and you had, you know, those inside lines in information and access to the front office. Well, what people don't understand 
and there are a lot of people that still don't understand this, and this is not bragging, it's just the truth. There are very few people walking on the planet that knew more of what was going on with the organization than I did. I knew everything that happened behind the walls of the Sacramento Kings. I have so many stories that I have never said before. Okay, first of all, uh, ethically, I think it would be wrong. And number two, you and other Kings fans would not believe me. You would not believe me that it was possible that that actually happened. But I witnessed it. I saw it. I heard it. And so you have to understand, every day that I went on the radio, and again, most of my years on the radio in Sacramento were through bad times. Yeah, we had eight years of the playoffs. But out of 26 years of me being on the radio, most of the time the Kings sucked and were terrible. Okay? I knew everything that was going on. Okay? I knew about uh, conversations that management had with players. I knew about conversations that owners had with executives. I knew about conversations that owners had with the commissioner. I knew everything, everything. And I mean everything that went on with the team. Okay? When I went on the radio, there was nobody more educated to talk about what was going on with the team than me because I knew everything. And there were times when I would go on the air and my conversation was slanted towards what people didn't know, but I knew and would and would find out eventually. So, uh, you know, there were times that I would take my audience in that direction because I knew what was going to happen or, you know, certain certain things. So, you know, if I would go against the grain and everyone said, you're crazy, that's never going to happen. I already knew it was happening because I was I was privy to stuff that was going on behind the scenes. But um, there were, listen, Ryan, and I'd be lying if I told you that differently. Of course, there were times I went on the radio and didn't tell of a scene that happened. Of course. All right. Uh, there were times I would see something on the airplane or the bus or something where I could not believe it. But I had a very simple philosophy, Ryan. If I heard or saw something in an area that was a privileged area, meaning that if it weren't for my job, I wouldn't be there, that never left my body. Okay. If I saw something on the airplane, that, or, or my old oh boy, or if I saw something in the locker room or in the back room that I only could see because of my privilege of being in my position, meaning that had it not been for my job, I wouldn't have been in those areas. I never talked about that because I believe that there are, I believe just like in your family, you know, if I happen to be in your house and I see something really bad, it's really not my place to go outside your house and tell your neighbors, okay? That's that 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 that's via that would be violating your privacy, and ethically, I think that would be wrong. And I always tried to do that when covering the Kings or any other team, for that matter. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. And that's incredibly respectable. And I completely agree with the way that you approach that. Where is that line, though? Um, in terms of if you think, I mean, because that's kind of a decision you have to make or you know from talking to people that a story is going to come out. Like you said, you lead the audience. What's that line for you? It's a very fine line. It's a very, very, very fine and delicate line. And uh, you don't always 100% know where the line is, but as you do, this job with years of experience uh, and mo- and I will say this, most of the tumultuous times with the Sacramento Kings came in the latter part of my tenure of radio in Sacramento. I mean, m- most of the tumultuous times started in around 2010 or so. And I'd been on the radio since 1995. So I had navigated my way through a lot of difficult situations by then. And I had experience in navigating my way on the radio. I'll tell you this, being on the radio, I'll tell you what was the most difficult time. When the Kings were moving to Anaheim, then not moving to Anaheim, then moving to Seattle and not moving to Seattle. I'll never forget this. I We were playing the Clippers in March uh, a month excuse me, two months after the news had broke that the Kings had sold the team to Seattle, all right? And the Maloofs had stopped coming to the games. My last conversation with the Maloofs was on Martin Luther King Day in the lobby of the hotel, getting ready to play the Pelicans, and George Maloof called me. And I'm getting ready to get on the bus. And he talked to me about how they had sold the team to a group in Seattle. He wanted me to know why they sold the team. He thanked me for everything that I had done for the organization and wanted to know if I had any questions. And I was so stunned and so shell-shocked that I didn't even have any questions for George. And that was the last conversation that I had with George Malou for a while. So I'm sitting on the airplane thinking about, oh, Wow. And I remember doing my radio show and I'm like, screw it. I go from this point forward, my job on the radio is one job and one job only. And that's to do everything possible to save the team. And if the Maloofs don't like it, I don't give a damn. All right. So fast forward to the end of March, the Kings are playing the Clippers and Gavin Maloof is at the game with a couple of other people. And I'm like, I'm going to walk over and say hello to him. And Gavin looks at me and goes, you know what? I am really disappointed in you. Our family is really disappointed in you. And I go, why are you disappointed in me? He goes, because of what you've been saying on the radio. And I looked him right in the eye. I go, Gavin, I don't know if you listen to my show or you hear secondhand or thirdhand, but not once have I ever said anything derogatory about your family. I haven't said anything bad about your family. 
I said, you know what, Gavin? I'm going on the air trying to save this team because I feel it's my responsibility to the community. I said, but I've never once said anything bad on the radio about your family. And he looked me in the eye and he said, okay. I said, okay, have a great day. And I turned around and walked away. And so being on the radio during that time was unbelievably difficult. Like it was the most difficult thing. It wasn't just over those months. It was over a span of like two years dealing with that. It was the hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with. I mean, it was, I can't even begin to tell you. Um, I had Joe Maloof call me up once. I'm on the patio with my wife. I put it on speakerphone. He is screaming at me, screaming at me about wanting me to go on the air and say something about somebody. And I'm, and, and he's screaming at me. And I finally go, Joe, 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 shut up. Him. Joe, shut up. And he stops talking. I go, Joe, are you out of your fucking mind? That's what I said to him. I go, you know, I can't go on the air and do that. I go, what the hell is wrong with you, Joe? You're calling me up screaming at me. I go, you want to do my show, Joe? Why don't you come and take over my show? You know, damn well, I can't go on the air and say that. So, I mean, these were conversations that I would have occasionally during that time with the Maloofs. Now, this was pre-Seattle, not post-Seattle. Post-Seattle, I had no conversation with the Maloofs at all. This was the Anaheim, the, you know, the votes, the everything else. Right. And um, so, you know, I, what I dealt with back then, nobody, I should write a book on that, that top period of time. Most people would not believe it. I was on the phone at two in the morning and four in the morning with Carmichael Dave, with uh, people that work for the mayor's office, people that work for the league. Uh, I mean, I will tell you this, and this is not bragging. This is just the truth. There are not two people that knew, knew more about what was going on between the basketball team, the league, and the mayor's office than Carmichael, Dave, and me. No one. There was nobody in Sacramento. There was nobody that covered the NBA. There was nobody walking planet Earth that knew more about what was going on behind the scenes throughout that entire process than Dave and me. Nobody. Absolutely nobody. And so just know that when I went on the air during those period of uh, those those years, I knew everything that was going on all the time with the commissioner, the mayor, the team. Uh, and it, it gave me an advantage going on the radio every day. But there were days when it looked so bleak, where it looked like the team was definitely going to move. And I would never go there. I would go on the air and go, hey, let me tell you something. The team is still in Sacramento. You still can save the team. And don't listen to everything you're hearing. The team is still going to stay in Sacramento. And if you hate the Maloofs, I understand it. Go hate the Maloofs. But you need to go buy tickets to the game. You need to show the league that you're committed, that you want the team to stay here. Well, I'm not putting money in the Maloofs' pockets. Forget about putting money in the Maloof's pockets. You're putting money in your own pockets. You're putting money in the community's pockets. You're putting money in the NBA because you're showing David Stern that you still care enough to have a basketball team stay here. You know, those were the type of shows that I had on a daily basis. And they were brutal. They were absolutely brutal shows. They were horrible. I hated doing them. Uh, it was the most difficult period of time I've ever had in my broadcast life. Well, Grant, you were, and I think it speaks to you, but you were put between a rock and a hard place. 
and you didn't let the rock squish you. And no. I'll never forget, you know, the efforts of Dave, great guy, um, you, everybody else that worked to save the team. I think the Clippers game, I was there. That was actually the uh, here we buy night or something like that. Yeah, but the Clippers um, game I'm referring to was not in Sacramento. It was in the Staples Center oh, in Los okay. Angeles. Excuse yeah. me. So, no um, problem. But, you know, you could see the true emotion in two videos. And everybody can find those on YouTube. The first one is the one when you and Jerry signed off. That yep. still brings tears to my eyes. Like, that's, that, that's human emotion, true as can be. And also the intro that you and Jerry did for the Nuggets game after the Kings were saved. Yep. That was, yep. It, it, it's two moments I will never forget in my life. It, it was. Jason Hare, Jason Hare, the director for The Last Dance, told me that his inspiration for doing the documentary was twofold. One was talking to Carmichael Dave. And two was watching Jerry and I break down on camera after the game. And Jason told me that after seeing that, he was like, wow, there is something very special going on in Sacramento that I need to look into. And he started looking into it. And he said that that video of Jerry and I breaking down, which was seen all over the world, by the way, mm -hmm. said to him, wow, I got to look into this. And then he talked to Carmichael Dave. And he decided to do a documentary uh, uh, 30 for 30 on it. So, you know, that that's, you know, I look back at that period of time and I knew before the game started, I was going to have a very difficult time getting off the air. I knew it. I knew it at four o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't know it was going to be to that magnitude, uh, but, but I knew that there was a real possibility of that happening. It, it, it's at least for me as a Kings fan, those are two moments I will never forget. Um, can you do me a favor, though? I know Dave doesn't like ladders, but next time, if he's going <laughs> to dye his hair purple, make sure he has somebody else do it and he doesn't do it himself. <laughs> yeah, good point right there. <laughs> All right, man, you have a good day. Good talking to you. All right, Grant. You. Thanks very Talk much. Talk to you soon. All right. All right, see you. That was a great segment right there. That was great stuff. All right, uh, why don't we get to uh, some phone calls right here, and uh, we check in on Listen App on a very interesting Open Forum Wednesday. I hope you're enjoying this uh, as much as I am. Been a lot of fun today. Uh, Rich, you got to hit your hand icon. And when we do, we'll put you on. Hey, Rich, how are you today? You got me? Yes, sir. Go ahead, Rich. All, all right, Grant. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I used to be Rich from Carmichael, you know, and Carmichael Dave was just getting his start. Wow. How about yeah. that? Yeah, we were neighbors. <laughs> not, I mean, not <laughs> next door neighbors, but we, you know, let's just gotcha. say we hang out at the same pub. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but now I'm in San Diego and, you know, it was interesting, uh, hearing all this stuff reminiscing about, you know, during those tough times, uh, I, I love the phrase that you had come on the air quite frequently with about rolling up your, rolling up your sleeves to your freaking neck. Right. Yeah. That was, uh, that was something that, uh, became very popular. Rich, I lost you again, buddy. Thanks for the call. I really appreciate that. Um, we're going to get to uh, some other phone calls. And why don't we check in with Al here on this Wednesday show. Hey, Al, how are you today? Good, Napier. I'm going to say Grant Napier 
straightforward. Yeah, I've always tried to be that way. Let me tell you, and I had here's some of the. It's uh, I had to look this up. I'm not intel, and just think of you as straightforward because you're so New York. With you know, you're you're not going to sugarcoat it. Candid, forthright, genuine, sincere, truthful, unequivocal. Man, that's you, bud. You know, if if if, if your team stinks or a situation stinks. You're not, you're not going to, and you're going to go off facts. You don't, you don't throw garbage out there. You're going to go out there and you're going to tell it like it is, man. And then, so yep. that's my, my word for you. I have a, I have, a, I have to ask you a favor. I lost your feed when you talked about Jay Will was looking out the window. It was the beautiful yeah. day. We're, we're, I lost well, you there. John, so we're, John, uh, we were, we were getting ready to play the Warriors in the preseason and we were on the bus and we were on I-80 driving through Berkeley and I, Jason Williams was sitting right behind me and I turned around and I saw him gazing out the window and I said, you ever been to San Francisco before? He said, nope. And I'm like, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? He goes, unreal. And I said, have you ever been there before? He'd been here. And he had never been anywhere really. And I was just like, you know, just like he was so raw uh, and just so he was a country boy from Bell, West Virginia who went and played college basketball in Florida. And, you know, the West Coast was an area that really he didn't know anything about. And then I talked about a story uh, of him in the air when I was uh, flying to L.A. commercially one day, and I ran into his uh, fiance at the time, and she was so frustrated because all the power uh, had gone out in their house, and they lived in a very affluent community in a very affluent neighborhood. And, you know, Jason would say, we don't need power. You know, we just can we can use candles. Why do we need power for? And I was just like laughing because that was Jay Will. Jay Will was such a simple, simple person. You know, he felt like you didn't need electricity. You didn't need a phone. Uh, you know, and she was just like so frustrated with the fact that bills weren't being paid because he felt like you didn't need you didn't need those amenities. You didn't need those necessities uh, to live. So I, I got a real kick out of that. Al, you there? All right. I lost you. Maybe uh, my feed is breaking up. Uh, but you know what? With that said, I'm going to end the show anyway. It's been a great show. Really appreciate everybody listening. And uh, we will be back again tomorrow. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for listening right here on Listen Out. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus